you would keep your scriptures open to that, uh, that passage, we're going to go down, <clears throat> down that passage. Could I have some more lights up here? First, sir, I, I need longer places to walk. Keep, keep hitting it. First service, I just kept going like this. It's kind of trapped in the light. I really want to walk in the light while I'm up here. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Would you pray with me so that, uh, so that we can just ask God's Spirit to make His Scripture plain? Lord, send us your Spirit. Send us your Spirit to interpret your, your Scripture so that your plan can become plain to us in our lives. Send us the Spirit so that we can receive your Logos, your general word for all people, but also so that we can hear your Rhema, your personal voice that applies only to us as individuals. We pray in the power of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> we conclude the 20th chapter. You know, we're, we're preaching through the Gospel of Luke. We conclude the 20th chapter today, which is the chapter of accusative questions. And I want you to see a couple of things about this, about this particular passage. I want you to see how Jesus, another, or another way Jesus dealt with people who were trying to trap him. Now, first of all, let me lay out the scene for you. The Sadducees, capital S, were a group of people who were, get to the hospital, doc, who were, um, they were a group of religious Jews who did not believe in the resurrection, it says that in this scripture, and in not believing in the resurrection, they were people who were literally trapped into their long view was whatever happened in this life. That was a long view for them. Okay? <laughs> the way you can, this brings up a point, by the way. Uh, the way you can remember, tell the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees believed in the afterlife, and the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife, that's why they were sad, you see. Well, you'll never forget it, will you? I know it's corny, but it helps you remember. Anyhow, they were much more interested in political developments. They were much more interested. They were landed gentry. I mean, they were, they were probably the richest of all of the groups of Jews. Uh, they were more willing to compromise with Rome because they were interested in this world. They had, they had a short version of how the world was constructed. They did not believe in an afterlife. Um, now, if you want to know how that compares today with Americans, Americans, 71% of Americans believe in heaven. 56% of Americans believe in hell. 15% of Americans believe in resurrection, or I mean uh, reincarnation. Uh, it sounds, you know, you would think that more believe in reincarnation, but I think... Uh, uh, the media has really played up that whole dynamic because of Shirley MacLaine and all that kind of stuff that really uh, not that many Americans believe in reincarnation. But there are a big majority of Americans that, believe, that do believe in heaven. 
Okay? Now, when Jesus was approached by these people, I want you to see what he did. The first thing he did was he saw the emptiness of their life, and he saw the limitation of their view. And so he wanted to speak to them about heaven. He didn't want to cut down their argument. By the way, their argument is called, in philosophy, this is called a reductio ad absurdum. That's a, that's a type of argument it is. It means reduced to the absurd. In other words, you carry something out to its logical extremes in order to make the other person look foolish. Now, this happens every day in American homes. Your mother uses this on you constantly if you're a teenager. But mom, everybody's doing it. Yes, and I suppose if everybody jumped off the Empire State Building, you'd jump off too, wouldn't you? Next time she does that, you say, aha, reductio ad absurdum. You have just named what she's done to you. All right? Really works. Really works. So, so it's a type of argument. Now, Jesus, knowing their argument, and by the way, they, they really did take it to the absurd. They took, they took the 25th chapter of, of Deuteronomy, which in um, in uh, the olden times said that property advancement and, 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 and the inheritance, a line of people to inherit your property was so important that if, that if a wife's husband died, then the brother was, was made to marry that woman in order to propagate children. Now they could have stopped with two, couldn't they? Because what they're aiming at here is they, they want to disprove the idea of the resurrection by making it look ridiculous. They take that Old Testament law, and then they take another Old Testament um, just bit of common sense, and that is God does not like uh, polyandry or, or polygamy, as we would call it. He doesn't want us married to a whole bunch of, of people. So they say, if that's the law of Moses and God doesn't want this, then in the resurrection, that would have to happen, and therefore the idea of a resurrection is, is stupid. You see, what they, see where they're going with that? Okay? Now, they could have stopped with two. <laughs> they said, but they didn't. They made it look absolutely. And then there was another brother that married. And then there was another brother that married. And then, and then well, what are you going to do? Now, there must have been the impulse in Jesus to just wipe them out. To just, to just say, you're so dumb. I'll but he didn't. He looked at their emptiness. And he wanted to tell them, he wanted to tell them what heaven was like. He wanted them to know. It is so, I tell you what, it is so good to know the character of the Lord. We are schooled in conquering because we are schooled in self. I read, a, I read an interesting statistic this week. Um, when asked what was the chief goal of preschool teachers to install into the children, I bet you can name it. I, I don't even have to name it for you. What was the chief goal? The chief goal, 34%, which was the leader of any category, of preschool teachers, preschool um, um, administrators, uh, preschool child development specialists and preschool parents 
so that the most important goal that they had while their children were in preschool was to install in them, imbue them, endow them with a sense of self-reliance and self-confidence. That was the goal, okay? Not bad in itself. But when they were asked the question, how about sympathy with others? How about empathy with others? How about concern with others? Only 5% of them even said that was important. So you see, from the very time we start out, we're taught to think about ourselves. We're to, we, are, we are taught not, we are not taught to think about other people. Now Jesus is looking and he, he cares for them. He cares for them. And he wants to present a picture of heaven to them because they don't know what heaven's like. He doesn't want them to lose it. He doesn't want to argue with them. Turn to, turn to a chapter, the fourth chapter of John. That's easy enough for me to say, isn't it? Fourth chapter of John. He did the same thing with a woman. The Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that conversation? First of all, he was factual with her, telling her what she did not know. He didn't pull any punches. He said, you worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship him in spirit, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Now, you notice, I want you to notice the subtle inclusion of her. The hour is coming where people will worship him in spirit and truth. In other words, you can be included in that. Up to this time, you have not known, but you can be included. And that's what Jesus is doing with these Sadducees here. Now, the first thing, he, the first way he wants to include them is to teach them a doctrine of the afterlife. There is an afterlife. And he wants them to know. He says, God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And he wants them to know that. Do you know, I think, that a large part of the power we do not have in this world comes from the fact that we don't consider the long view of life and that we cut it off when we die and we don't consider that our life in this world is just the preface to the book just the preface the story develops after we physically die sometimes we just generally believe in an afterlife, but we don't really, I mean, we have doubts about it, don't we? I wonder when I die if, if I really will go somewhere. And when we are fledgling believers, when we are first-time believers, when, some of us, to be honest with you, it's a little bit tougher for those folks who are analytical to believe than it is for those who are non. I mean, for some, faith just comes easier. It just comes more naturally. But even for you analytical folks, even for you scientifically-minded folks, let me just share something with you that Werner Van Braun, one of the fathers of the space program, um, he, was, he was a rocket scientist. You know the old saying, not your rocket scientist? He was a rocket scientist. Came over to the United States and really helped us get our feet on the ground as far as the space program. When he talked about an afterlife, he said this. Science has determined that nothing, nothing 
comes to an end. It only transfers form. Okay? You know what I'm talking about, the law of physics. That is that matter uh, never becomes extinct. It just transfers into a form of energy, right? Now he says this. If nothing becomes extinct in the physical world, it just transfers form. If God does that with the least of his world, isn't it logical that he would do that with the most important thing he has ever made, that is the human soul? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Nothing can disappear without a trace. Look at this. Some will say, well, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? This is the pharisaical argument. You know, I don't know. I can't recognize it. I don't know what's, what's going to happen here. And Paul's a little bit harsher than Jesus. <laughs> says, you fool. He says, don't you know that unless a seed dies, nothing can spring to We don't know, in other words, what it's going to look like. We just know that something comes from that seed. It transfers form. And we don't know what the spiritual body is going to look like. Every spiritual body is different according to its own form, according to its own seed. But we do know this. What is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. That we know. Now, if you will turn with me to the 8th chapter of Romans. Let's go to the 8th chapter of Romans. Let me show you this. Chapter 8, or verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Chapter 21 of Revelation says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the per first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. In other words, heaven is so glorious, we have not had any experience of it yet. And so it's very difficult to talk about, but it's there. Turn one more, one more time. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2. Let me show you something there. Then we'll go on. Verse 9. I hear this verse being used all the time to talk about the worldly goods that are going to come in this life. This verse is really talking about the next life. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us revealed them through the, to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now here's what I'm saying to you. It is important that you think in terms of an afterlife. If you are to have the power to live this life. I took karate for a couple of months in my lifetime. <laughs> Just all I lasted. Because I just kept breaking things myself. 
One of the things, though, that they taught us, one of the first things you, first things you considered in a karate class was that to have maximum power, you have to aim through the target. You understand that? To have maximum power, you have to aim through. You can't aim at the target because you will ordinarily stop there. You have to aim through the target. Very important. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen for those of us who don't live for heaven. Who don't live as if heaven is going to be the norm for our existence instead of earth is going to be the norm for our existence. We're going to get cut down in this life because we don't even know the language and we get too curious and we get too drawn into the ways of the world. That's what was happening to the Sadducees. They had become cynical. They had become unbelieving. They had just been drawn into the ways of this world and were missing spiritual discernment. Do you remember in 1976, the name uh, Entebbe, Uganda? Remember that? Jews were held hostage by terrorists in an airport. And so the Jewish army, the Israeli army, sent in commandos to this room where the terrorists and the Jews were. And when they burst through the door, the commandos shouted in Hebrew, get down and crawl. Now, of course, the Jews knew the language. The terrorists did not. They were not Jewish. So all but three of the, the uh, hostages dropped down on the floor and started crawling toward those who had come to rescue them. But three who had understood the orders were curious. And even one who was lying down at the time got up to see what was happening. And when they sprayed bullets, they not only killed all the terrorists, they killed those three who were too curious to follow orders. Now let me tell you this. When the Lord comes again, when we have a chance to go to heaven, those things, those people who are not interested in spiritual things will not even understand the language. They'll be mowed down by the world. That's what they lived for. That's how they died. But let me tell you this too. There are some of us who will be so curious, even though we understand the language, even though we are interested in spiritual things, that are so curious about the world that we too will get mowed down because we got caught up in the ways of the world. You remember Demas, who loved this present world, so he left Paul. He started out as an on fire, but he loved it. He got all caught up in the world. Jesus is saying to these Sadducees, remember heaven, remember heaven, remember heaven. Heaven's where you're going to spend all your significant life. Live as if you lived in heaven. Live as if you were in the presence of God. That's what you need. That's your emptiness. That's why all you care about are the powers of this world instead of being content with spiritual things that fill you. 
Second thing he said, very important, listen to this. What they were doing was that they were trying to conquer Jesus by argument. They even used the militant term, son of David. Now David, as you know, was the greatest conqueror, the greatest general in all of Israel's history. And so when they used the, the term son of David with him, Jesus knew that one of their problems was not just realizing that they ought to live according to being in heaven, but also that their strategy to winning at life was grouping up and conquering as a group, justifying themselves as a group. And so he taught them that you need to be able to say, Lord. You need to be able to recognize who's God and who's not. That was their problem. They couldn't recognize who was God and who was not. When we group, when we live according to the world, we try to manage the world. We try to control the world. We try to conquer the world. E. Stanley Jones was an old preacher, humble, humble man. And he used to give seminars for young preachers. And one of the things he tried to teach them in those seminars is how not to try to be God. How not to try to control and be responsible for everybody else's behavior. How to just serve. How to just love. And after one of those seminars, a young man came up to him. And he said to him, today I resigned as general manager of the universe. Could I say to you this? A lot of you believe. Unbeknownst to yourselves that you have responsibility to be general manager of the universe. You need to resign that position. That is not your position. Now let me just get real personal here. I believe that's more of a problem for women than it is for men. I'm going to be, I don't mean to be chauvinistic here, but it's just been my experience to know that one of the benefits of being a passive, lazy blob of a man, as most of us are, is that we will more readily relinquish the role of general manager of the universe. Now, I realize that a lot of you women are married to us, a lot of us couch potatoes. And so you're thinking to yourself, if nobody does it, it just won't get done. If I don't do it, I'm sorry, it won't get done because look at Mr. Jello on the couch here. You know, therefore, I have to be general manager of the universe. You don't understand. I'm just saying what Christ said. Our job is not to run the world. Our job is to serve. We are not in the business of conquering. We're in the job, we're in the business of service. We're not in the business of sales. I keep hearing, you know, I'll introduce myself as a, as a uh, minister every once in a while to a salesman. He'll go, well, you're in sales too. No, I'm not. I'm in service. I'm not in sales. Everything that is fit to be accomplished in this world is accomplished through serving 
and loving instead of through conquering or tricking. Everything. Everything. One of, the, one of the great failures of this world, one of the great failures of our culture is believing that we can have victory through banding together and conquering. The women's movement. I'm going to make a lot of enemies here. And I realize, I realize that from Jump Street, but I just need to share honestly. The women's movement has, has accomplished a lot in that it has made some of us very sensitive of how chauvinistic we've been. However, a political movement, a power movement, can never accomplish love and appreciation. It can never accomplish admiration. I saw some statistics this, this week that said, and we've been sold a bill of goods, by the way, about the success and the, how much farther along we are because of the women's movement. And I just take this as an example. It's not the be-all and end-all because there's a lot of rights movements out there. But when asked, this was in U.S. News and World Report, Gallup poll. When asked if women had a much more satisfying life because of the women's movement, the response was yes. It was, it was uh, I think uh, the response was uh, 63, no, 56% to 35% said yes, women had a more fulfilling life. But then they went on to ask the rest of the questions. Does the women, women's movement make successful marriage easier? 76% to 15% said no, it made it harder. Well, does the women's movement make uh, raising children easier? 82% to 14% said, no, it made raising children harder. Well, then does the women's movement at least make it easier to combine home and job? No, 66% to 32% said, no, it made it harder. Well, then at least, you know, this is almost a gimme. At least the women's movement made making a livable wage for a family easier. Even to that question, even when, when it came down to having a dual income, 50 to 46% said no, it made it harder. Now what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say this. That when we think we can accomplish what we need to accomplish as human beings through a political movement, the media might convince us that it's a very beneficial thing, but when it comes down to the specifics, it doesn't look like it to me. Let me ask you this. Do you respect women more nowadays than you respect your grandmother? Do you admire women more nowadays than you admired your grandmother? Are you just intimidated more? Was, did your mother need a women's movement to control the house? Look back and see who the most influential person was in your family. Was that political? Or was it because they loved you like crazy? And they prayed for you like crazy? When you, when you see in your own life what you admire and what you respect and what you love, is it political? 
Is it conquering? Is it because they argued so much more effectively? No, it's because they loved you. And that's how it is with us when we learn to serve, when we learn to be submissive to one another, when we learn that each other is more important. That is when we will have the kind of influence and respect that we deserve, not through anything political. And we've got, to, we've got to keep concentrating on that's the way of heaven or we lose the whole perspective. Because if we think the only thing that we can accomplish comes in this world, then we get panicked and we go back to our own power motives. We really do. Alexander the Great was a great admirer of Diogenes, the famous Greek philosopher. Diogenes would speak with such wisdom and one day, Alexander the Great looked at him and said, Diogenes, I am the conqueror of the world. This was when, before he was 32 years old. He had conquered most of the known world. I want you to ask for anything you want, and I will provide it for you. Diogenes thought for a moment, and he looked at him and he said, Alexander, I will have the smallest portion of immortality. Alexander looked at him and he said, Diogenes, that's not mine to give. And then Diogenes looked into his eyes with all the wisdom and said, then why are you killing yourself? to conquer a world that you cannot for one moment guarantee time to appreciate. Could I ask us all that same question? If all we have is just the perspective of what is going on in this world, and if we have no control of when we die, and Alexander the Great did not. When he was 32 years old, he contracted malaria. 11 days later, he was dead. 32 years old. If we can't guarantee our own immortality, why are we trying to run around and conquer a world that we have no control over how long we'll be able to appreciate? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Jesus said to us, no, your only job is to serve. It's not to conquer. It's just to serve. It's to let me be Lord and let you be men. That's your only job. And if you need a guideline for releasing power, then let the guideline be love. Let the guideline be sharing. And every time, it will work eventually. It will work sometimes in this world it will work, but it will always work as far as heaven goes. Let me tell you one more story, then I'll quit. You know, Sony is one of the most brilliant corporations, business speaking, speaking in business terms, in the world. One of the most successful in the history of the world. But Sony made one big mistake with one of their projects that continues to draw them down. Do you remember when uh, uh, videotape was first coming out? There were two kinds, beta and VHF formats. And, and you would go into a video cassette store 
and you would see shelves of about equal beta and VHF. VHS, I'm sorry. JVC was the company that uh, produced the VHS format. What happens when you go in a store now? No beta, is there? Or the beta section is so small. You know what happened? When Sony first came out with that beta format, they were so successful at keeping the technology secret that no one else had it, just Sony. JVC, on the other hand, shared the technology so that many companies began producing VHS format for videotape. What happened? The whole market slowly became VHS because so many were producing it. And now, in a couple of years, Sony will be able to be on, in the electric burial ground of history with their beta because they just wanted to conquer by keeping it to themselves. Let me tell you something. It's not by mind and not by power, but by the spirit that loves, by the spirit that would include, by the spirit that takes the long view instead of the short view, that we'll all have what God wants us to have. Let's take a few minutes to pray, can we? And let me ask you just to consider a couple of things. First of all, I want you to consider anyone who you feel is attacking you right now or coming to you with accusative questions. I want you to consider those folks in your, in your prayer right now. And I want you to ask yourself, what is an emptiness that they could have that I could somehow speak to? What is their fear? What is their hurt that I can speak to and I can try to give a kind word to? Secondly, if you're not in that position right now, let me ask you to pray about this. Many of us don't ordinarily think about heaven. Many of us don't every day teach the long view to our children. Many of us um, are more concerned with just a one-time trick of getting into heaven than it is, than we are, of living a life where heaven is part of us, into us. So let me ask you to pray about this. Would you, during this prayer time, ask the Lord to be constantly reminding you how you would be living if you were living in heaven right now. And all this week, I want you to think, how would I be living if I were living in heaven right now? And I want you to ask your kids that. When your kids have a problem, I want you to ask them that question. What would it be like? What would your decision be if you were living in heaven right now? If you were living directly before the Lord right now, what would your decision be? Okay? Two things. How can I love those who attack me? And how can I ask God to consistently remind me of how it is to live in heaven? 
Now, after I've said that, let me ask a couple of elders just to come up and pray. And uh, any of you who need prayers that are not on that subject, I fully realize that some of you have had weeks that I've, I didn't even touch the subject today. And so if you've had a week and you need to pray with another Christian, I want you to come up. First of all, I want you to pray. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, you can solve that today. I mean, if I've been talking about heaven, you go, well, you know, I hope I get there. If you're not absolutely confident that you're going to heaven, you can come down and have one of these elders pray the prayer of salvation with you, and you can in faith know that you are going to heaven today. And if you're not confident about that, don't walk out of here without being able to be confident of it. It's silly to live wondering where you're going to go after you die. It's goofy. Nobody needs to do that. Secondly, if there's a, if there's a healing that you need or there's some sort of emotional, um, just rough time that you're going through or you just need somebody to pray with you about something, I want you to come down. Let us pray with you. Now, it's okay for anybody to, to just come down and pray individually at the altar. You don't need to pray with somebody else. But we just want to make the elders available to you in case you would like that. Okay? Let's pray for a while. Just go to the Father.